initially it was very painful to understand what really freedom was. But as soon as I understood what it was and I was empowered by it, I would rather than die than not being free. Well, and we hear that or read about it from, from people from all walks of life, all cultures, countries across history. Mm-hmm. That is, once they have the taste of freedom, yeah. there's no going back. Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. Every guest we have on this show is so special to the future of America, the future of free people. This guest we have in this episode, however, and is in a category of her own, as you will soon see, my new friend, Yunmi Park, is a successful defector from North Korea. Yunmi, thank you for joining me and thank you for everything you've done. Thank you so much for having me. So we have this custom on this show of starting the the, the show by asking someone their story. Obviously, your story (laughs) is intriguing and heroic. And for anyone in our audience watching or listening who hasn't heard your story, please let them know how it is that you're here in Miami, Florida for the National Conservatism Conference based on where you were born. Uh, I mean, it's a long story. Sure. Uh, I was born in North Korea, and it's still so surreal to me when I was in in there. Every day I had to learn that Americans were bastards. <laughs> they were like trying to kill us. And now I ended up in America, but initially I escaped North Korea when I was 13 years old because I was starving. And millions of people were dying from starvation. and seeing like literally dead, seeing dead bodies everywhere and I escaped North Korea with my mother to China and in China we were being sold as sex slaves uh, because Chinese regime did not accept us as refugees so when I was 15 I eventually crossed the frozen desert to Mongolia and then that's how I escaped from China and North Korea and went to South Korea and obviously just heroic suffering that went on there but when you were 15 and finally got to freedom Mm. what was that moment when you realized that you had successfully escaped from North Korea you had successfully escaped from obviously just tragic mistreatment by Mm. the Chinese tell us explain that moment when you realized oh I will never again not be free yeah I guess I mean, honestly, in the beginning from North Korea, like when you are born in the country, you do not own yourself. Like, I mean, to the point of the regime controlling you is they even control your haircut, right? It's funny to the Westerners, but people in North Korea do not even have a freedom to choose what kind of book they can read, what song they listen to, what haircut they get. And going to South Korea, hearing what freedom was, Initially, it was very painful to understand what really freedom was. But as soon as I understood what it was and I was empowered by it, I would rather than die than not being free. And we hear that or read about it from from people from all walks of life, all cultures, countries across history. Mm -hmm. That is, once they have the taste of freedom, there's no going back. So thank you for your witness to that. How long have you been in the United States? It's been, I think, five years. Or, yeah, around five years. <laughs> what do you think so far? Amazing. It's the, it's a miracle. I don't think anything else can describe these countries. It's a miracle. Uh, it has to be the case that every morning you wake up and you appreciate 
what's around us, right? Yeah. And and the reason I ask that is, I think almost all Americans are actually grateful to mm-hmm. some extent or another for what we have. But I can say, having had the great fortune of being born here, that one of the things that's happened in, in the span of time that I've been alive mm-hmm. is that fewer Americans are actually grateful for the freedom we have. What's what's your response to that? I'm not, you're not a pessimistic person, but you're mm-hmm. someone who not only is an immigrant here, but an immigrant with a heroic, heroic set of circumstances. What do you think about Americans' own understanding of our freedom? I think this is also I became, you know, initially I began my journey as a fighting for my people back in North Korea, and now I'm actually fighting for my own freedom in America. And I mean, I went to Columbia University in New York for my undergrad. And I just couldn't believe they, I mean, the people in going to Colombia think they're oppressed, <laughs> right? And yes. I mean, in people in North Korea, they don't even know they are oppressed. And really seeing how their distortion in history and understanding of this country is really scary to the point where I'm very worried about this country. Well, and, and that's what we're going to get into here in a moment. I'm curious, when you were at Columbia, mm-hmm. if, if you had the opportunity to talk to some of your classmates who were saying that they were oppressed mm-hmm. and explain your own story. Didn't they simply tell me, even professors tell me that I'm brainwashed. Really? Yeah, <laughs> they say that I'm brainwashed. And they, yeah, so it's just also Columbia has a lot of training and since of conduct, right, we have to have a safe space. We cannot trigger others' emotions. We can literally get kicked out of university. So we, I couldn't like really raise my voice to the extent where I can threaten others emotionally. So this this really ridiculous American concept of a safe space <laughs> yeah. extended so far that someone could have a misunderstanding about the depths of despair in North Korea, which you yourself experienced, mm-hmm. and you really couldn't talk about. It. No, I think it's. it's to the point where a professor says, if you're triggered, even before come to class, do not even give us a reason, don't come to the class. Don't do the reading, don't take anything. And people taking their emotional support animals to classrooms. It was so bizarre, anything that I've ever seen in my life was like, they cannot tolerate even hearing something. They need animals holding on to them during the classroom at an Ivy League institution. Given what you went through, it, it had to be completely shocking. Yeah, it's <laughs> like. So, so tell us about your work, and mm-hmm. now that we know a little bit about your background, and thanks for sharing that, tell us about what you're doing and why it is that you're here at the National Conservatism Conference. So, as I said, initially I was bought as a sex slave at 13, and my mother was sold for like $65. I was sold for like just over $200 as a child. And I came to America, I was trying to tell the world that China is responsible for sponsoring this Holocaust in North Korea. There are 300,000 North Korean young girls like me right now are being sold as sex slaves. Their organs are taken out of them, they are being killed, they are raped, right? And I was trying to talk about that and I get so much censorship. And then I have a YouTube channel too, whenever I talk about these topics, the YouTube like demonetizes my platforms, I get blocked. And I, I couldn't believe this, like we have freedom of speech in this country. Why do I get censored for talking the truth? And that's when I realized there's this like very extreme ideology where you know anything that you disagree is a hate speech, then we need to ban it. And I feel like 
even in America, I'm struggling to have a voice right now using this truth, what China does with North Korean people. And it, it, it has to be so disorienting, if you will, that given what, you're experience, what you experience in North Korea and in China, mm-hmm. that you contrast that lack of freedom mm-hmm. with the lack of freedom we have in the United States, which I guess I might say is more intellectual, that mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't even have the, we, we sometimes talk about it as freedom of speech, but it's yeah. really our government in a different way than mm-hmm. your native government controlling what we say with safe spaces and what's going on in universities, right? Yeah. So, Yunmi, what do we do about it? I mean, I, I, I lead a public policy organization that's, it's loud here at the, at the conference, we'll just keep going on. Yeah. I lead a public policy organization that's focused on analyzing problems in reality, which mm-hmm. is what you've done, but also talking about solutions. And I'm curious, given your experience here in the United States for five years, what are the solutions to this problem that you experienced at Columbia in sense? I, I'm a huge fan of what you do, actually. I read a lot. I, I educate myself from a lot of reports that you write with your institution. Sure. I, to me, it's almost in America. So when I came to America, a lot of people were asking me. So the number one question they asked is, so are North Koreans dumb or something? Why do they not raise up? Why do they not start a revolution? And my answer was, if you don't know you're enslaved, like enslaved how, do you know, how do you fight to be free? That was a problem in North Korea. They don't know even they're oppressed. And in America, I was so shocked to find this. The first thing my mom told me as a young girl was, don't even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me. Like, say one wrong thing, gonna get not only you killed, but the three generations of your family get killed in North Korea. And in America, I was appalled to see that how many people in America censor themselves. They laugh at North Koreans. They, they are afraid of like mice and birds can listen to them. But in America, people censor themselves every day. I feel like we need to understand why that fear is and how we need to get out of that. And I think stand up for what you believe in. It's a new kind of totalitarianism or a different kind of totalitarianism, it is. isn't it? Mm-hmm. So you've decided that one of the things you can do to convince Americans of the problems we have in this country mm-hmm. is to write a book. So <laughs> t- tell us about the book. It's, it's really drawing the parallels. Like, it's, it's, especially when I was in North Korea when I was born, my family status was very low. So North Korea, even the founder country, the idea of complete equality, right? Like nobody rich, nobody poor, let's be all equal, socialist paradise. Once we gave all our like property, they abolished private property, the regime divided into North Korea's 51 different classes. We are a homogeneous country. We are not America, we are a homogeneous country. They divided 51 different classes based on what your ancestors did during the revolution of time. So apparently my great-grandfather had a tiny bit of land in his yard, so therefore he was a landowner. That's why, as a great-granddaughter, my blood was tainted because I was a, like a daughter of a landowner. Now I came to America, I should have a son who is half white. Now he's gonna be guilty because his skin color. It's a white guilt. We punish people for not something they did because maybe possibly their ancestors did. That's a very North Korean regime's tactic. That's how you divide people and that's how you control people. And seeing that, what the heck is it like white guilt? What's white privilege? Like, my son should never ask her any slavery that happened, I mean, how many hundred years ago, right? So I think seeing that, I think the, a lot of those powers that is I see happening in North Korea, exactly repeating in America. And Americans have no idea what they're doing. 
coming from you, that explanation coming from you, especially about your son, mm -hmm. I think is, is really persuasive for the average American who may not be so political mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily agree with the concept of white guilt, when, mm -hmm. but when they hear about things like critical race theory, they think mistakenly, but with good intentions mm -hmm. that, because they're Americans. I mean, we have good intentions about people that, that somehow that's a way of telling the truth about race and ethnicity and background. But what you're reminding us is that's a very evil ideology. Yeah. And when Americans hear anything like that, especially if, if someone is willing to put the headline white guilt on it, mm -hmm. we need to eradicate that from our schools. Absolutely. That's, I think that's pure evil. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, that's so sad. Like whenever we have good intentions, we pave the road to hell, right? It's just a lot of in America, people are just so naive. And with the good intentions, they are paving the road to become like North Korea. And I am trying to stop that. So are you optimistic in spite of these problems facing the United States that as a people, mm. we will be able to overcome them? So here's a question. I just fled Chicago because of crime. I was robbed in Chicago and I was robbed during the BLM, the, the, the rooting. I was robbed by these three black women. They were punching me and they take my wallet away around like afternoon in the middle of Michigan Avenue. And people on the street wouldn't help me. They told me that I'm a racist because I'm trying to call police on these uh, criminals. And that's when I realized it's like the madness of crowd. These people are completely lost. They don't even have a common sense. Because my skin color was not supposed to oppress color, they wouldn't even help me. Now I went to New York. I mean, every corner there's like drugs, there's a crime so much. So in some ways, I'm like, I'm in this bubble where there's no rule of law anymore. And... I think this is a very important time that we are shaping who we are and how we need to prioritize rule of law above anything, above equity, above whatever that is. We need to have a rule of law and that is falling apart in Chicago, in New York, because I've been living there. The, the, the problem of what's happening in most American large cities mm -hmm. is really concerning. I mean, you, yeah. you unfortunately experienced that in a way that's that's nearly tragic. <laughs> and and I was in the New York area in the last few days as well. And, and each time I go, it seems as if the situation gets worse. Yeah. San Francisco, to use a West Coast example, a formerly great city mm -hmm. is almost like the third world in, in, in many blocks of that city. Yeah. And as, a, as an American who was born here, I can only imagine what it's like for someone who's proud to be an American mm -hmm. now and probably had really high expectations for our country it has to be very concerning to see the reality especially of american cities yeah i think that's the thing all my life i fled to be safe right escape north korea china i was i mean chasing from the police running away i come to america at least minimum that you expect is safety and i don't have that like every single day i go out running walking on the street in my hat is a gamble like, I don't know what corner somebody stab me and like rob me or kill me or rape me. Like, literally, it's a gamble. So I think that's where Americans I think don't realize how bad we've gotten. And because I saw the worst countries like North Korea, China, I have seen the worst, and like we look a lot like that. So we need to emphasize as a, as a way of moving forward. Rule of law, heritage, of course, has done that for many years. We'll continue to do that. We look forward to to working with you on that. So I'll ask you one final question, mm -hmm. and that is, in spite of the problems facing the United States, you're sitting here smiling, which mm -hmm. is a, an amazing witness. 
to your, your internal optimism. What advice would you give to Americans for keeping their country to be the last best hope for the world as you saw it when you were migrating? I think having some perspective, think about what our country overcame, what America have overcome, right? They built the best nation that ever exists in human history, that they had a bigger challenge than we did. I'm sure like what we are facing seems like really a lot of challenges and a lot of people are saying the world is falling apart and like really you haven't <laughs> have you read any taste story textbooks there were much bigger problems back then I think what we are lacking is like the perspective you know it's like it's so funny during the pandemic like all my Chicago everybody think the world is ending and I'm like you haven't seen the real problem yet <laughs> for me it was like this is a joke so I think because maybe we haven't seen such hard times, people really lost the sense of what the hardship should look like. And I think keeping that perspective, if our ancestors overcome all the challenges, obviously we can fix all these problems. Well, thank you for your optimism. Thank you for being here with me. Thanks for being a friend of the Heritage Foundation and we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation with our friend Yunmi Park. Obviously, there is a lot for Americans to learn, namely by being focused on the rule of law, by also channeling an optimism at a time when a lot of people tell us not to do that. Once again, Yunmi, thanks for being here, and we will see you next time. The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producer is Crystal Kate Bonham. The producer is Philip Reynolds. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and Tim Kennedy. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.